When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone and welcome to another episode of Candare, your tribute to pop culture. I am Jeremy Colley. I'm Jack Doherty. And joining us today to talk about his new movie, Roswell Delirium, we welcome veteran cinematographer, television camera operator, writer and director Richard Bakewell to the show. And uh, we had a lot of fun talking with him, didn't we, Jack? Oh, we did. Absolutely. I think he'd be fun to hang out with. I think we're, we're all fairly like-minded, seem to like all the same kind of things. Yeah, and we could probably get a job. <laughs> um, who knows? We're not coming out of the woodwork, which all this will make sense once you guys hear the conversation. But <laughs> yeah, I just realized I kind of overshot <laughs> a little bit. But just give it a yeah. little bit, a little bit of time, ladies and gentlemen. That will make sense here in just a few minutes. Uh, but no, it was awesome to have uh, Richard here. He tells us all about his movie. Uh, once again, titled uh, Roswell Delirium, tells us about how he got into the industry, some of the other things he's done, and uh, much more. It was a great conversation. Uh, we'll have to get him back sometime. But before we turn you over to it, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandarePod, on Instagram at Cand underscore Air, and on TikTok at CandarePodcast, and at CandarePodcast.com, a couple different ways you can support us. There's our Patreon link and a uh, link to our merch page. So get some uh, extra content or get a t-shirt or mug get some extra can dare just for a little bit of your money help support the show and um <clears throat> another thing that's fairly new with us is our youtube page is ever growing uh so go check us out can dare podcast on youtube a lot of the conversations we're having now are going to be on youtube when the audio version releases really trying to push the video medium and uh trying to learn more about how to do it because <laughs> Definitely Changing not the, with the times. Yes, a little little late. This is probably where we should have started, actually, 10 years ago, but here we are. Better late than never, right? Right, right. Uh, what else am I forgetting? Evergreen Podcast Network at evergreenpodcast.com. Uh, yours truly, Candare, with a lot of other great podcasts are all on this network. Very proud to be there. Once again, evergreenpodcast.com. Uh, I think that's it, unless I'm forgetting something, Jack. That's it. I think that's it. So let's kick it over to our conversation with Richard Bakewell. Richard, thank you so much for taking time to be on the show tonight, man. It's awesome to have you here. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Very excited to talk about your movie, Roswell Delirium. It looks like it's awesome. That poster behind you <laughs> looks even cooler. <laughs> oh, Yes. It's uh, it's quite the movie. It's sci-fi, nostalgia, it's thriller, drama, it's so many different things, you know. Right, right. I'm, I'm excited to find out more about it, but I got to find out more about you first. Can you tell us a little sure. bit about yourself? Like, where'd you grow up? What were you like as a kid? I grew up in Chicago. I did the whole, you know, film school thing, you know. You know, when you're a kid, you want to make movies. People think you're weird, you know. Oh, you're the weirdo. You're never going to make movies. No one can do it. You know, and then when you actually 
go on to film school and you start working for a living and doing projects people know about, it's like, oh, then all these people come out of the woodworks, you know, I knew you could make it. I knew you could do it, you know, and hey, are you uh, hiring at all? Can you uh, give me a job? You know, I get that a lot nowadays, too. So, (laughs) you know, it's like friends everywhere. People don't don't believe in you until you make it in this business, you know. So I dealt with that a lot as a kid. I was always a weird one. And then when I made it, now they're all like, coming out of the little bit of cockroaches, you know, so. How do you, how do you humor that or do you? Uh, it depends, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll look at it. I'm like, I don't even know who you are, you know? And then I'm like, the people that I want to talk to are saved in my phone for a reason, you know, it's like, sure. and then people, I don't know who this number is. I'm sorry. Or I just like, you know, I respond back. Yeah, I'll see what I can do, you know, and then just pass along. But, uh, that's just, I think it's probably for anybody or especially it's probably worse for celebrities who were like all over the world in the news, you know, they probably get that nonstop. So. Oh, I'm sure. Which is why you- <laughs> no one, even their close family can probably get a touch of them. I'm in touch with them. Excuse me, Jack, what were you saying? That's when you pull out your notebook of the people that you hated in high school and like, <laughs> nope, you're not on the list. <laughs> and well, luckily I didn't hate job. anybody. I just, yeah, I didn't, I didn't hate anybody, but I just didn't get along with some people, but I never hated anyone, so. But yeah. but you're saying some of those people that you didn't get along with that gave you shit about it ask you then, hey, is is there a job for me in your industry? Like you're their Wonka <laughs> ticket into the industry? Oh, yeah, they think that I'm the golden ticket, man, you know? And I'm like, sorry, that ship has sailed, you know? You don't want to <laughs> hang out uh, back in the day. You know, and sadly, I'll even tell you a story. So I, before, uh, I, you know, finished film school, I came out of money. So I got like a side job, a Goldman Sachs trading stocks. You know, I got a license and everything. And, you know, my cousin who I never talked to, but one time reached out for a job. I'm like, are you kidding me? And like, I came to your birthday party. You wouldn't even talk to me. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm definitely not giving you a job, you know? So. Wow. And you said that you said that to him. Oh yeah, I did. I totally did. I was like, you were too good. You were the, you were the quarterback down in Texas playing football. And then you just didn't want to talk to me. Cause I was this little peon cousin, you know? So I'm like, nah, I'm good. So. Damn. That's, that's sweet. I wish I could have witnessed <laughs> that. <laughs> it was, it was quite, it was quite a moment. It's like, you know, it's like how you treat people in your life and in the business is like, you know, definitely reflects who you are and you have to like maintain a certain way of treating people. Like, Cause it will come back to you. It's like, you know, I don't forget things. I'm like an elephant. I don't forget anything. So. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Remember uh, we had Billy West on the show years ago. He said the same thing. You know, I was always making these noises growing up doing these voices and people would give me shit. Like, why are you making those voices? And then after I <laughs> became famous, it's like, why aren't you making those voices? You know? <laughs> right. Damn. So, okay. You say, so you say you uh, studied film in Chicago. I did. Yeah. I went to Columbia College, Chicago, and got took longer than I wanted because I kind of ran out of money uh, after the second year and had to write like bad checks to stay in school. And then eventually they kind of caught on that I was bouncing checks. And then I had to like take time off and then save money and then go back a couple years later when I could afford it, you know, properly. So. Right. You're dedicated. Oh That's yeah. I, I wanted, I wanted to, I, I wanted to graduate, but it's like, you know, uh, you know, I, I, I don't come from very much, you know, we were kind of like middle-class poor growing up. So we didn't have a lot. So, but I was like, I know I want to do this. I'm going to find a way. And I, you know, I thought, well, the bad checks will carry me so far, but you know, eventually like, Hey, guess what? Sorry. You can't keep coming to school. And then I had to work, work harder, you know, to pay the rest. And back then I think it was like 3000 a semester to go to school. And now I think it's like 30,000 a semester that same school. Yeah. 
has yeah. really gone up. I don't know how. I don't. I don't that's why kids don't go to film school anymore. It's just overpriced. It's too much yeah. money. You you want to blame it on an inflation, but that's quite a hike. I, that's more than inflation. It, it is. <laughs> I mean, because then you got to pay. Like I had to live in a dorm for a while, and then you know, apartment downtown Chicago is expensive. You pay for your books, your your lab fees. I mean, there's so much stuff. It's just not even that. It's not a flat rate. It's like you got to keep adding on to that, you know. So it gets really sure. overpriced. So based on what you were saying earlier, then you know, the movie industry has intrigued you from a very young age. It wasn't something you stumbled into and in, like as an adult. Oh no! Like I remember, you know, my dad took me to see Star Wars as a kid. Like got, got re released. And we walked into the movie and I was just like, I was drawn in immediately. And I didn't know that those were like people on a screen. I thought those were like a real people just on a stage. I was so young. I didn't know. And, uh, I was, that was a movie that kind of like changed my life. And then, you know, of course, Empire Strikes Back came out, like E.T. and Back to the Future and Indiana Jones. And those movies just kept reassuring the fact that this is what I wanted to do. You know, this is like my career path. I don't know how I was going to make it, but I knew that's what I wanted to do. You were going to do it. And you did it. Incredible, yeah. man. Now you I lucky had... enough to have a VCR recorder? Well, you know, it's funny. I had a VCR and I had a laser disc player too. Uh, so we had, you know, they're like the big, like big giant record laser discs. And they would play, but you had to flip the side over to watch the second side because there's so much memory on these things, you know. So I had, we had all that stuff growing up. I mean, like a video camera to start practicing. Oh, video camera. Oh, yeah. You know, I had, I had this crazy camera. Uh, it only shot black and white. It's called a PXL 2000. And you put like a, almost like a cassette tape in there. And you could record anything. And we would just record goofing around, making little movies. I mean, all the time, you know. And then I would uh, hook it up to the VCR and I would splice it all together and edit everything, you know, and make a little like 30, 20 minute movie out of it. So, wow. That's you still have those you still have those tapes those movies you made oh no they're they're in a vault somewhere locked away you know no one no one needs to see those kind of movies you know so they're pretty bad you know <laughs> <laughs> but you still have them though you still have them if oh you yeah ever want no, to I, have, I have them there's a there's a box i have a box yeah i mean i there it, it is they're on vhs cassette tape and they'll probably stay there and never be converted so you know oh, so, you so should the, convert mm, them <laughs> Maybe one day I'll go through them, you know, one day. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll you see. should convert it and be like, hey, hey, kid I grew up with, remember you wouldn't you wouldn't help me with this? <laughs> uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't play the, the crazy uh, Laguna monster, you know, in the movie. So, yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, one thing I had read is that um, you initially wanted to be a director, but you decided to um, – put that on hold and jump into uh, camera work, cinematography and stuff before you went back uh, to directing. What, what inspired that decision? Well, you know, when I was going to school, I kind of, I started working like side jobs, you know, I was, I did some small stuff and commercials and um, I kept meeting people who were like out of, out of college, like four to six years out of school. And they were still like at the lowest level possible. They were still a production assistant. And I'm like, I can't spend all this money and be at the bottom for that long after school. And I was like, what was your craft in your, you know, and then college is like, well, I want, I was a directing major. And I'm like, so you're still a PA six years later. And I'm like, that's pretty scary. So I was like, I need to have a craft so I can fall back on this career, you know, this career until the directing thing takes off because no one just hands you $10 million to make a movie. You have to, right. 
you know, right. establish yourself and do the work to get the, those kind of positions. So I was like, I'm going to learn how to do all the camera stuff, you know, and how to load film and, and, and shoot and, and lighting, because I'm like, I needed a, a job to keep doing this to afford the lifestyle and to be in the business until I get actually like work my way up to the top. You know, it takes a long time, sadly. So, but I just needed a craft and that's what I chose. So. Sure. How, and how much fun it has to have been, uh, or has to be, I imagine you still do it, but, um, or would I be wrong? Do you not do it anymore? Oh no, I do both. I mean, I, yeah. I kind of do both. And then, you know, it's funny because a lot of the jobs I do, because like really like in 2020, everything changed everything. And, uh, a lot of the work that I did, people wouldn't come out of the house. So I also had to take on the producer role too, a lot of times because the producer was back home, you know, and they wanted to see everything live. So, uh, like me and my team, we put together this whole system so they could see everything at, like as the camera would see it, you know, like live, you know, it's hooking yeah. up basically through his, through a zoom, but like a way to be wireless and they could see the camera moving all the time. Um, so like, I, I mean, I direct stuff, but then there's also times like I'll shoot as well. Like I shot the Emmys the other week, you know, and, oh, wow. uh, working on the grand hmm. weekend. So it's like, I still do that as a cinematographer, but like I, you know, directing is obviously where my, uh, my passion really lies, but I do love to shoot too. Cause I get to be, I get to be creative, you know? So. Right. Absolutely. And I've read that, um, during your time as camera operator, cinematographer, you've had the opportunity to work alongside and interview some, uh, pretty incredible people. I mean, Gordon Ramsay, Oprah Winfrey, Tyra Banks, Mark Wahlberg, Prince Harry, Ringo star. I mean, can you oh, yeah. talk about some of these experiences <laughs> and some of these people? Well, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because like, I remember like, you know, Prince Harry, everyone made a huge deal about Prince Harry, you know, and I was helping my friend out, uh, on that shoot and everybody was so nervous. And I'm like, what's well, this Prince Harry? You know, I'm like, I'm not that crazy. I'm like, I, I was, I was really nervous about Oprah. Uh, like that one was sure. a big deal for me working, you know, working, uh, and filming her for the first time. Uh, I heard she's very particular and I remember we, you know, we walked in, we lit, lit the interview. Uh, she noticed some things she didn't like, and she's like, let me know when you're ready. And I was like, Oh, that's how she is. Okay. You know, it's like, she walked out of the room. She goes, I'm not doing it until you, I, I want it this way. And I'm like, she's she knows what she wants exactly. And I was just kind of in awe of that. It's like, you know, she's not going to tolerate anything that she doesn't approve of, you know? Um, and you know, like Ringo Starr, like when we interviewed him, uh, I mean, he's like one of the last ones left. I mean, the truly iconic figure and, uh, just like nice as can be, uh, very, like, it, it feels like you were back in the sixties when he walks in the room and there's like this, like, like hippie energy that he brings with him, you know, it's everything's very calm and, and friendly and peace and love. And I was like, wow, if only every interview could be like this, you know, and I didn't want, right. I didn't want him to leave. I wanted to, you know, talk to him, but it was like, we filmed him during the pandemic. So, you know, it's kind of like, got to keep your distance. You can't really hang out with him. You know, you just mm -hmm. talk to him from afar and that's basically about it. But it's like, I've got to interview so many people and never had, but maybe like two bad experiences ever. So, uh, would it be wrong of me to ask about these bad experiences? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, you know, I think everybody has their days, sure. uh, you know, and I don't, yeah. I don't mind, but like, you know, I remember, uh, we did, uh, Hillary Duff years ago 
And she just was not nice. I tried to like joke around with her, relax her, and she just wasn't having it. And and I, she said something about like I said, you just have fun with the piece. You know, try to be try to be funny. And then um, she goes, well, I'm not really funny. And then as a joke, I said, well, it's okay. I don't have a per- I don't have a personality either. And then she got really offended by it, you know. And I was like, I was trying to make light of the situation, you know. And she just <laughs> she took it like the wrong way. And I was trying to be funny, but then I I was like, you know, she just didn't respond that well. So it was a very awkward uh, hour with her. Um, and then I think the other bad experience probably George Lopez, like the sound guy, was trying to put a microphone on him, and he wouldn't even like move to help the sound guy out to put the mic on him. He just didn't want any part of it. And I was like. I don't know why you want to be a jerk, you know? And he, he's just like, once the interview was over, he's kind of threw off the microphone. And I'm like, you don't need to be like that, but you know, okay, sure. You know, so we all have our bad, we have our, we had our bad days, you know? So, but still. Of course, of course. But I don't know. I, I, I think that's, that's a little bit beyond just having a bad, that's just sure. fucking rude, man. I mean, why are you even yeah. there? You know? Right. Like, if you don't want to be here, don't be here. That's how I am. Like, I, you know, I, if I don't want to be somewhere, you know, I, I just don't go. You know, that's just, that's right. it. But, you know, people get jaded. You know, it happens. But, uh, you know, like I said, for doing it for almost 20 years, like, I've had less than five bad experiences. And that's pretty good, sure. I, I think. Oh, yeah, I would agree. I mean, yeah, when you're doing what you do, you're it's inevitable. You're going to have those experiences with those people. Sure. Have you ever been afraid? Because I know like there's times we've had people on our show that we're like huge fans of and like, oh, God, please don't let this person be an asshole. And, you know, in our 10 years, maybe once, maybe twice it's happened, but with not with anyone we've, you know, been a big fan of is have you had any nerves like that? Like, oh, Christ, I, I love this guy. I hope he's not a jerk. Uh, yeah, you know, I've had that feeling before about some people and um like i my like i've never really gotten starstruck but one time and that was on the way to from like santa monica back to burbank and i stopped to get gas at the shell station and uh i i'm like you know i'm, I'm hearing his voice out of, out of the corner of my ear and it's this guy he's talking very italian during new york you know and he's like he's like you know like praising his kid for pissing outside at the gas station because they wouldn't let his kid pee inside in the in the bathroom and I look over and it's James Gandolfini. And I was like, oh my God. I said, I said, Tony fucking Soprano. And he just looks at me and he kind of smiles and points at me, like, yeah, yeah. And then he walks back in his car. And I was like, but it was like a moment, you know, but it's just like he wasn't a jerk about it. He was just kind of, you know, but I was like, I was so starstruck. I was like, because I idolized that guy. And I mean, I loved him on that show, man. It was like my favorite shows of all time. Um, it was That's a just out encounter. In the wild. The, That's not even a result of a of a project. It was just in the wild. Yeah, just out in the wild, happened to stop get gas, you know, and he was great. And uh, you know, I met Stallone um, I think like seven years ago at a, at the Creed screening, and he was there, Michael B. Jordan. And uh, you know, like everybody just like swarmed him like buzzards, you know, they wanted to get in there and talk to him and Somehow I kind of stuck my way in there and I talked to him for a second and he's a super nice guy, you know, and, um, I, you just like, you can't ask for more cause I, he's one of the people that I idolize and he was just very, you know, very friendly and gave me like 20 seconds. And then people said, say, you gotta go, you gotta go, we gotta get you out of here, you know, but he was a super nice guy, you know, and that's <laughs> some reason that's what nice. you remember the most, you know? Yeah. Oh Your yeah. Icons are actually yeah. great. For some reason, when you said he gave me 20 seconds, my mind was 
upset that you were going to say he gave me twenty dollars. I'm like, wow, what a nice guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I, I would have probably kept twenty bucks. You know? Oh yeah, you don't spend that. Yeah. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ. Okay, man. Let's talk about this movie, Roswell Let's Delirium. Uh, just kick it off. Tell us in the listeners, you know, what this movie's about. It's uh. It, I mean, anybody who loves the 80s, it's a very nostalgic 1980s throwback sci-fi thriller. Um, it basically takes place like in this time frame of the 80s that we don't know what year really is. And um, it, basically what happens during the movie in the beginning is the Soviet Union attacks the U.S., sends over like two dozen nuclear warheads. And then people have to learn how to survive afterwards. Uh, and they're all like starting to slowly die of radiation poisoning and then in the story, this mother and her daughter are trying to survive. And the daughter like thinks that she can like contact anybody on the earth or in space because her dad's an astronaut. So she calls people on the ham radios and then starts to get kind of like an intergalactic call from space, almost like a distress call. And then she starts looking for uh, this area that they call Space Rock, which is where Area 51 used to be. And people like who are still alive in the movie think that this place will heal them from dying. So if you have like radiation poisoning, you have cancer, you can bring your loved ones there and get them to the aliens to save them. So she goes on a journey to uh, like look for her friend who go, who's gone missing. But then what happens is she gets even severely like sick from all the radiation contamination. And then her mother has to like make a choice to either like let the doctors take care of her or bring her back to the uh space rock to give the aliens in the end so that sounds awesome mm. so so where did this concept how did this come to you well it came to me uh i did this documentary years ago called before i died about kids uh with cancer doing their bucket list and not all the kids that we were filming made it you know they passed on one kid had like brain cancer nine times and eventually Jeez. the ninth time killed them you know and uh wow. You know, I remember the mother, you know, she called me and, you know, blubbering and crying. And then, you know, I was like, wow, you know, it's like you did everything you could to save your child. It's like, what what else could you have done on this earth? And I'm like, nothing. And then I was like, well, what if there was what if the aliens could save this this child? And then that just kind of became the thought process for the movie is just like, what if aliens could save the day? You know, what if they really could? Because in movies nowadays, they're always the monster, the villains, and they want to destroy Earth, you know? But right. mm -hmm. I, they get a bad rap. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, so what if they're the saviors, you know? Maybe they're the saviors this time, you know? And, and then right. so in the movie, it's kind of like you, you sprinkle this nostalgia, some Easter eggs, and a lot of like, mu like music references. And then basically, you know, it's like the film starts off and there's a little humor, but then it gets very serious and it gets very like, uh, it pulls at your heartstrings at the end. So it's a very touching, uh, film. So. Uh, I want to nice. see it. Yeah. So uh, this movie was originally made to be a short film before it was a feature yes. film. Can you uh, tell us why, you know, why it started <laughs> as a short film and ended up as a feature? Well, I did a film before called The Rabbit Hole, um, and uh, it was with these two girls who were in the movie again, uh, Kylie Levine and Arielle Boldenhausen. They play a mother and daughter in The Rabbit Hole. And then after the premiere of that movie, I was like, I just thought they were so great. And I said, I have another movie for you. It's going to be a short, eight pages, you know, and then we were ready to go in 2020. We had the locations all worked out. And then 
you know, March came and then they said, you can't film anymore. So I was like, Oh, okay. Well, uh, one scene's in the hospital. So we can't do that. And now we can't even get a permit. So, uh, I decided to go back to the drawing board and, and instead of giving up, I decided to make it a feature and I just got, you know, a lot of ideas and inspiration. And I was like, I just want to tell this story. And then it didn't start off as an eighties film, but it became an eighties film just because of my love for that time frame and those movies were so dear to me. And most of them still oh, yeah. are. If they hold up, yeah. some don't hold up. You know, I try right. to watch, yeah. rewatch some of those and it's like, Oh my God, Holy shit. That was bad. You know, like yeah. Tom Kirk, <laughs> James Spader. I was like, this is horrible garbage. I was yeah. like, wow, how did I like this movie when I was a kid? You know? So some movies don't hold up, you know, and I just really wanted to make like an eighties love child, you know, story. And, um, I spent like, two years writing it, 17 drafts until I was like actually happy with it, you know? And then it, like, once I was happy, I think it was easy to get everybody on board, you know, all the 80 stars and, and the young actors, like everybody was so excited to make this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I was like shocked. I'm like, well, maybe I have something here, you know? So. I would, I would say so, man. It had to be a great feeling. I mean, you're making an eighties movie and you get all these 80 icons to come on into your movie. Anthony Michael yeah. Hall, uh, Lisa, I can never say her last name. Del, 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 yeah. Del, and Jack, yeah. that's, that's a uh, Blair from facts of life. If you didn't okay. yeah. pick up on that D Wallace, Reginald Vell Johnson, holy shit. And Sam Jones, <laughs> Flash Gordon, my God. Oh, yeah. 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 And you talk about getting all these people together and, you know, what it's like to work with them. I mean, you've already told us how influential, you know, this time frame was for you. And here are all these icons around you and you're the boss. <laughs> Tell us about yes. that. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I just saw Sam last week at a screen in Arizona and he came, he flew out for it, you know, and um, when I was a kid, I had a laser disc of Sam Jones and Flash Gordon, you know, very dear to me. And I watched it a hundred times. So he was always like somebody had to be in the movie. And, you know, he's this very large man, very loud, but like, he's like a gentle giant, you know? And, um, it, like the funny thing about like working with Sam is he's used to this old school way of filmmaking, you know, you yell action and you just do it, you know, you start going. And I'm like, well, I don't say action. I say, whenever you're ready. And he goes, oh, you, you don't say action? I'm like, no, I say whenever you're ready. He goes, that's pretty cool. And, um, you know, Sam is like, Sam likes to think a lot and talk about the character. And that's very helpful. And he just, he cares a lot. Like everything he does, he cares a lot. There's got to be a purpose for it. Like things can't, like even if it's on the script, it doesn't feel right to him. He doesn't want to do it. And he he's very collaborative that way. Um, and just, we had this great day together sadly it was in august and it's like 105 degrees out and it's like Ooh. world war ii bunker so i think we both lost 20 pounds that day because <laughs> no matter how much the air ran we could not cool that place down because it was like you know like steel and aluminum and it was just super hot um but it was like a special day and you know and then reggie you know it's like my god it's like die hard is like my favorite like action movie of all time i mean it's the classic and uh, he was a, a treat to work with. It's like he, the character that I wrote was like this very evil kind of villain type character. But then when he, uh, agreed to do the part, I had to change the character because he's so likable. I said, I can't have yeah. him be this evil person because when he smiles, he just want to like be friends with this guy. Mm -hmm. So I had to like change his character up and he's, you know, very, uh, very giving. And I mean, he just like delivered this great performance and ever, like he's so good in the film with, you know, with Kylie 
like they had this amazing chemistry and they never had a rehearsal day. They just had like meet and film in that day. And they just clicked right away. You know, so special to watch. Uh, like I couldn't ask for more. And then Lisa, you know, like when I was like casting for the eighties teacher, I said, I have to have a very familiar face of the eighties. It's got to feel like when you walk into the classroom and see all the students, you see her come in, it has to bring you back to that time and that era. So I was like, I need some a face of the eighties. And she was one of the first people I thought of. And it's like when, she, you know, she came to set and she walks in the room and, you know, we reveal her on camera. It was like such a special day because I watched every season of Facts of Life, even when it got terrible, I still watched it. And, you know, it's like she's so giving. I mean, she had, um, you know, a couple of scares with her mom uh, when we were filming the movie. And like you would never tell that by performance because she was so focused, you know, and wow. deliver these giant monologues. I mean, because she's a teacher and has to explain all the reasons why the Soviets invaded the U.S. and attacked mm -hmm. us. And, you know, so she had to deliver and deliver and just never like really broke down and just all carried all the way through. Um, and then D was uh, probably the most magical day for me because I idolized her since E.T. All right. You know, like I saw that movie probably like 50 times. Um, and it's like you know, you see as, as the boy story and the alien, but really like she carries that story, you know, she's the heart and soul of that movie. And I watched it before we filmed with her again. And, you know, like she has a couple like very traumatic, like tearful scenes. And, you know, what I learned about her is you don't tell her where the camera is. You don't tell her how tight the lens is going to be on her. She doesn't care because she's going to give that same performance over and over again. And she does. And like, I remember, at the end of the day, she was so worn out, like she nearly collapsed in my arms, you know, and she's like this 70 something year old lady who just has to like cry and, and scream and just, I mean, did an amazing job. And it was like such a special day. I couldn't stop smiling for a week, you know, because I'm like, she's someone I've always idolized. And, uh, and then, you know, Michael, it's like him and I, it's like, we, he, he got the script and, you know, I think within two days he read it. And then within like three days, we were having lunch together and talking about the movie. And then we met at the smokehouse in Burbank and kind of made like a gentleman's handshake deal. And, you know, while we were, we were negotiating, we were figuring things out, you know, money wise. And then we, I said, Michael, I said, look, I know it's up to you. I said, we have a table read coming up with all the kids in the movie. There's a lot of kids in this film. There's like six. And I said, uh, you know, if you can, there's any way you can do the table read. He goes, no, I'll do it. And I'm like, well, your contract's not signed yet. He goes, I don't care. I'll still do it. I want to, I'm, I'm involved. I'm a, we're going to figure the money out and it's going to be great. So I'll do it. So he joined in on zoom and he did the table read even without him being signed on the movie. So, wow. Yeah, man. Yeah. So I was like, Pretty wow, sure. at least he cares that much. You know, he cares that much. And that's what like, I was like, okay, I made the right choice and bringing him on because not everybody else will do that. They'd say, no, once it's signed, I'll, I'll help you out. But not until then, you know, so. Sure. Had, yeah. Had to make you feel pretty good. Like I've got something going here. I've got a good thing. Oh yeah. Like, and it's like, and that's the thing too. It's like all these younger kids, you know, in the movie, all the adults, and the 80s people, they all cared so much. And I was like, well, maybe this film has legs, you know, maybe there is something special to it. Uh, and I think after seeing the response that I've been getting, I think, you know, it's definitely, uh, one's going to stick around for a while. So sure. Nice. Sure. Especially with all these, uh, UFO sightings and alien <laughs> sightings around the world happening. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> Are you a believer? I, mean, I think there's, I think there's more sightings. I think 
I just think that people don't see him. I think they're so fast that, you know, people yeah. never catch him, you know, sadly. So, but, but are you a believer in the extraterrestrials that, that everyone wants to believe so badly in? You know, I, I am, you know, it's like, we're, I think we're just a small microcosm in, in the world. You know, there's, I mean, we're so, earth is so small. Oh, yeah. There's so many galaxies <laughs> that we'll never even find and get to. It's like, we have to be like completely idiotic to think that we're the only like uh, species that matter on this, this world. And, uh, and so I'm like, I think the aliens have been here. They've probably been here several times, but I always think that we're probably the most violent species Oh, you yeah. know, in the world, in the universe. So I feel like, <laughs> I think aliens don't always want to come here knowing that we're always ready to shoot them down, you know? So that's what I think. Sure. So. Have you, I'm sure you've probably seen the photographs. I mean, they've been out for a while now, but that the uh, James Webb telescope released oh. of deep space where you can just see all of those different solar systems just crammed in. And one, photo yep. shot, one photograph, there's thousands of them. You can't look at that and think we're alone or, you know, we're the no. only ones out here. There's no way. I mean, if anything, it's like, okay, <laughs> there's definitely something out there. The yeah. lottery has had multiple winners before, so it can't just be <laughs> our lives. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more out there yet, you know, and I think like people would go into mass panic if they knew that aliens were out there and just, uh, you know, invading the U S I mean, people would start like, if you look at like 2020 when the pandemic happened, people went out and bought guns like crazy. Like, oh yeah, like there were more people in line for guns than there were for food. So I think people would go into that mindset again. We need, we got to protect ourselves. You know, I'm going to mm -hmm. shoot these aliens. You're gonna have all kind of crazies come out for sure. You know, so no doubt, <laughs> doomsday bunkers being built in yep. every other house. Yeah, indeed. Oh, so I don't know where right. I'd lie on that spectrum. I'd like to think I'd keep a cool head, but I, at the same time, I don't know. <laughs> I think I would be cool until like, you know, I, until like something else, maybe a little like scared. Like, all right, well now maybe I got to shoot him after all, but you know, I, I would sure, hope, exactly hope it. Yeah. that they, they, they came here in peace. I would assume they'd come here in peace, you know, so. Makes me think of the beginning of Independence Day when all the big ships settle over the big cities and there's all that whole group of people that are just staying. They're like, oh, this is awesome. And then they blow up. A yep. like, oh, shit, we got to run. <laughs> we were wrong. It's time to go. It is yeah. time to get out of here. Yes. <laughs> One thing I had read in the uh, in the bio that uh, Lori <laughs> sent us about you is that this movie was a response to it was a, it was a response to your journey back from PTSD and uh, the 2020 pandemic. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, you know, so like in the film, there's a lot of parallels of the pandemic in the film, you know, like, like, you know, I remember like, uh, in Burbank, where I live, it's like, you know, you had to wait in line to go get food, you couldn't just go into the grocery store, or Costco or anything, they had like, you know, kind of like limit the people inside the store. And then it's like, you know, it's kind of like when the lottery when they had chicken and eggs or any kind of meat cause, or canned food, because they were always out of stuff. So I took a lot of what I kind of like experienced in the pandemic and then how people were really treated who wouldn't wear a mask or had a mask. And, uh, you know, and I, I kind of broke parallels of that into the story. Like in this film, they have what you call the Cold War cough. So and people are scared to get it because then they know they're going to die if they get the Cold War cough. And like, very similar to the pandemic, you know, if you have COVID, you pass along, you kill people. So I, I wrote things that were very familiar so people kind of, it's not like preaching. It's not like, oh, we're back in the pandemic in this movie, but like there's things that feel familiar and there's a joke that, um, 
in the first scene in the classroom, uh, Kaden Tokarski plays Becky's mean girl, and she talks about having to wear masks and can't go and get toilet paper in the store. It's kind of making a joke at people who just really had to go get toilet paper and like buy them all. Like, really, we can find other ways to wipe our butt, you know? It's like, that's not the only way. We can get washcloths too, you know? And wash them. Yeah. It's like, come on, you know, really? We're worried about toilet paper? And that was the thing, you know? Um, So she kind of makes a joke about that in the movie. And, you know, like the the PTSD is kind of like, you know, I... I did two years of cops uh, when, I, when I was a camera operator. And then, you know, I, I've dated some people in my life who are like bipolar or schizophrenic and, you know, had to see like some very horrible things with them and, you know, kind of like the, the, the kind of like the decay of like their brain and, and things that happened and how like they really just started to uh, unravel, you know, mentally, like you, they are at one way a certain point in their life and then they have a mental break and then they're never the same person again, even after like they get back on their meds, you know, it gets worse and worse. And, uh, so I took a lot of the, my own trauma from my life to kind of like help to help tell the story. Cause the film as much as it's like, a, it's eighties and it's, you know, there's Easter eggs, it's fun. And there's, there is sadness and it, it truly is as a metaphor for like mental illness. That's what the whole film is truly about. When you watch the whole oh. thing, it's entirely, it's like, Oh, this is what it's about. It's not just for fun. It's not aliens. There's more to do it. You know, there's an actual, there's a message in there. Sure. Yes. There's a message and everyone has to figure out what that message is. It's like, I told people other, other week at a Q and a, I was like, I'm not going to tell you what the ending's about. I'm not going to tell you or explain it. You have to figure it out. It's like song lyrics. You have to figure them out yourself. You know, <sighs> that's quite a commercial you have there. <laughs> I want to see you. it, man. I, and, and I tried to, uh, I tried to watch it beforehand, but I had trouble uh, finding a way to watch it. How, how can we and the listeners check it out? Well, right now we have a screening on February 24th in LA at the TLC Chinese theater six. Okay. Um, we're ha- we're having a screen there at a film festival, uh, in LA Hollywood, you know, and, um, that's the next time you can see it in a theater. Uh, okay. We're currently in, in negotiations for streaming, so I uh, don't want to jinx that or anything. But like, so as we're kind of like working out the streaming platform, we're still letting it run at festivals until we get to that point, and then we're just going to pull it out of the festivals. But like for now, that's where you can see it. So okay, well, yeah. I, I thought I was missing something. I felt like I was missing no. something because I tell these guys <laughs> all the time, like you know, something can be right under my nose on the internet, and I. I still can't find it. And so I thought that's what was going on, but okay. Oh, oh no. Like people, I get calls, texts every day. When is it going to be available? I'm like, these, these contracts take a long time to figure out all the details. So once, you know, but I'm hope I'm hoping it has a permanent home by May, 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 end of May. So that's okay. my plan. And cool. is there any chance of there being any screenings out like toward the East coast at all? We're in Ohio. I would love to see it. Oh, what part of Ohio? Columbus. 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 I used to down South. Yeah, there could be, uh, I'll have to look at the, at the, um, the festival run, but yeah, I think, um, there might be a possible screening down there too. You know, I know, I think the next one was like next month in Godfrey, Illinois, kind of a, a random okay. uh, place, really, really down South Illinois near St. Louis. So uh, it's playing there in March, but uh, I'll look at the Ohio festival run too, to see where that's going. So did you say you li- used to live uh, South of Columbus? I used to live North. I did live up in uh, Painesville for a while. So oh, okay. for a couple of years. Okay. Yeah. 
So I'm very familiar. I've been to Columbus a lot. Okay. So you probably don't miss it too much. There's not a lot here to miss. Yeah, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, to be fair, no, I don't miss it at all. I don't miss it at all. There it yeah. is. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like now, you know, I go back once every like two years, you know, to see some family that still lives there. But I'm like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. So <laughs> being in Burbank, yeah. look at you, man. Yeah. yeah. We, you know, you, you live in Burbank and then you get used to the weather. It's like, you know, I'm, I come from a smaller town. So, you know, I, and I live in Chicago, the downtown, in the heart of the, the cold every winter, you know, and oh, like I two degrees with, with the wind the chill. Wind? So it's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> when I came out to LA and I got to taste the sunshine like all year round. And I remember my first year here, I went to the beach on Christmas Day and I was like, I could never do that in Chicago. And I was like, why am I going to even go back there? It's like, this is ridiculous. So I was like, I eventually made the choice to come here for good. So small part of me that kind of hates you right now. <laughs> Christmas on the beach, man. Come on. That's not fair. I want no, that so I mean, bad. Like, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a life changer, you know, like you're always, it's hard to be in a good and a bad mood here because there's always sunshine. It rains like six days a year. You know, it's like we have earthquakes every now and then. I mean, every day from my like, my chair and I can feel a rumbling a little bit, but it's like, it's not going to kill me, you know? So sure. Take that over <laughs> snow and cold any day. Exactly. Damn. Well, how cool Palm for trees you, man. With Christmas lights too. What's that? Palm trees with Christmas lights. Exactly. Do people, do people uh, over that way still get nuts about Christmas lights like they do here in Ohio and lawn ornaments and stuff, or is it just kind of They're, forgotten? No, there are, there are certain parts of like, I know there's certain parts of Burbank where they really do it up. Like it's almost like uh, the Griswolds, you know, Christmas and they have like thousands <laughs> of lights, these giant ornaments outside and blow up, you know, Santa Claus and reindeer. Some people get really over the top crazy and some people just put like a little light bulb in their window, you know, so sure. you get, the, you get the, spec the spectrum of the, of the fanatics for sure. It'd be interesting to see all that up while strolling around in t-shirt and shorts and just. <laughs> oh. Well, you know, it's like you know, we celebrate Christmas here, but it never feels like Christmas because there's yeah. no, it's not cold or it's yeah. not snowing. So I'm like, I don't really think that we're experiencing in the winter here. It just never really happens. Yeah. So that's why it's so mm -hmm. appealing to me. <laughs> one of these days, <clears throat> one of these days. But I want to remind everyone again, February 24th at the TLC Chinese Theater in Hollywood will be the next screening. Uh, where do people go to get tickets for that? You can go to uh, lightforcepictures.com and then we have a Roswell Delirium page that has all the ticket information to go buy tickets. Okay. And I'll put a link of that uh, in the episode notes. But Perfect. Richard, thank you so much for taking time to be here with us and tell us about your movie. Congratulations to you, ma'am. Yeah. Man, thank you again. Thanks for having me. It's been great. All right. And once again, that was our conversation with Richard Bakewell. Damn, that was a good conversation. I enjoyed that quite a bit. What about you, definitely. Jack? Oh, it was definitely good. It's kind of weird that we are like how he's talking about the PTSD and standing in lines waiting for food. It's kind of weird that we know how that feels now, nowadays, I guess. What do you so mean? After the pandemic. Oh, after the yeah. pandemic. I yeah. mean, that wasn't nearly that bad from what he was saying here in Ohio. I don't remember a time I couldn't get chicken or eggs. It was always no, pretty. No, I, mean, I don't either, but I can remember the toilet paper. Yeah. But I mean, there's a few more people over there in California versus here in little Columbus, Ohio. So Sure. Sure. Makes all the difference. <laughs> Though it's ever growing, Columbus, ever growing. Yeah. Yeah. 
but I'm very excited to see uh, this movie, Roswell Delirium. I had been looking everywhere online. This makes a lot more sense as to why I couldn't find it. You know, you read stuff online and sometimes facts change mm -hmm. or the facts that were put online were never right at all. I thought this movie had been out since October. So I was beating myself over the head with a club. Like, why can't <laughs> I find this damn movie? But same um, here. <laughs> but again, that screening, uh, TLC Chinese Theater in Hollywood, February 24th at 4 p.m. Once again, uh, there's a link down in the description that you can go over and get your tickets if you're in the area or if you're uh, interested in going. But I uh, want to thank him so much for being on the show. You can find him on Instagram at Rick Bakewell, and you can follow uh, Roswell Delirium on Instagram at Roswell Delirium. Makes sense, right, Jack? Why wouldn't hey. it be called that? Why couldn't we do that? <laughs> okay, I, I don't know. I, I feel like when we started our Instagram, it was already taken. So we had to put a yeah. can underscore air. Jeez. You know what? Whatever. It is what it is, I suppose. <laughs> but uh, yeah, big thanks to Richard once again for stopping by. And Jack, what do we have on the website, sir? Go to candairpodcast.com where you can listen, like, follow, subscribe, buy some merch, become a patron. Check out some of the YouTube videos over on our page. And if you'd like to be a guest and promote your work, send us an email on our contacts page. There it is. And don't forget, once again, to find us on Twitter at CandarePod, on Instagram at Canned underscore Air, and on TikTok, Candare Podcast, And on YouTube, again, all these interviews that we're doing, we're getting the video element, putting them up when the audio uh, version releases. And also, I'm going through uh, some of our old stuff videos that we recorded of uh, great conversations where the audio uh, version's already been out for some time. I've just been sitting on all this video. So just getting it slowly edited and slowly out to you guys uh, so you can enjoy it as much as we did. Because they're great conversations. Get it, getting it off the hard drive so we can delete it. Sending it out to the internet. <laughs> that too. <laughs> Let me tell you, I freed up some space, but um, all, all the same, they're great conversations, and I'm excited for everybody to see them. But uh, what else? What else? Uh, Evergreen Podcast Network, uh, evergreenpodcast.com, the network we're proud to be on. And uh, once again, on candarepodcast.com, we have a merch tab and we have a Patreon tab. Two different ways you can support us. Uh, with a little bit of your hard-earned cash and get something in return. And if you don't have money to support us, that's fine. Go leave us a like and a review on uh, on Apple or Spotify or whatever po uh, podcast player it is you listen to because that helps quite a bit. It's not just making us feel yeah, good does. about ourselves. It gets no. our show more exposure when you guys do that kind of stuff. So a great way to support us, and it doesn't cost you a dime, people. You've got no reason not to do it. Uh, now, now I'm going to lay the guilt on really heavy. No. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to do Should we stare longingly and play Sarah McLaughlin? Say that again. Should we stare longingly and stare at the camera and play uh, Sarah McLaughlin? <laughs> I don't know. Remember, I tried that years ago with a commercial that's for right, our merch right. page, and that shit got pulled pretty quick. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Every once in a while, I stumble upon that video, though, and just have to laugh. <laughs> our Candare t-shirts put up in kennels and chained outside in the cold yeah. with sad dog <laughs> eyes on <laughs> uh, a little cringeworthy now that I think about it but it was still funny hell yeah anyway that's going to do it for this episode of Candare until next time I am Jeremy Colley I am Jack Doherty thank you so much for listening everyone and be excellent to each other
This has been a Canned Air production. Are you tired of seeing your teen or young adult struggle on a path that clearly isn't the right fit? Is your teenager confused about which direction to take after high school? The future of work is changing rapidly, and our kids need to know all of the options available after high school so they're empowered to make the choice that is best for them. In each episode, we explore the latest trends that are shaping the opportunities of today and tomorrow. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell, and this is the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast.